0: You call that radio! Good afternoon, Tripodors and welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of You Call That Audio. Finally. It's um, the last time we did an audio podcast, it was back in December 2021. And now as I speak, it's the 23rd of September 2022, it's autumn equinox, winter water will be coming out your taps very shortly. And so much has happened in that time. I mean, we've not released any audio podcasts, but we have done lots of live video stream podcasts on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash you call that radio We've also been doing backstage interviews. We've been doing live sessions. So there's lots of stuff on our YouTube and our website, com. Lots of real-life events and stuff as well. But away from the podcast, so much has happened. You know, Prime Ministers have changed. Wars have begun. It was lockdown the last time we did one of these. That's, that seems like a long time ago as well. There's been lots of death. And I don't, I don't mean, like, the Queen. I mean, like, tragic death as in... Actual death of a loved one that I actually knew. Well, there's been too many of them. It's been quite a time. Lots of good stuff too. It's been the return of festival season. The live gig's been back. I'm going to be an uncle. My brand new studio office space is nearly ready. And people rallied around my, to help my partner get an operation after the NHS fielder. her. Sorry, the politicians that fund the NHS fielder. her. I decided to get a bunch of episodes out today, because I realised I'm not taking my own advice when I see friends become perfectionists and never do stuff because they overthink it. I try to tell me, keep it simple, just do the thing, don't overthink it, just do it, just be and just do and get it done. And then I realised I should be taking my own advice because so much so much time has lapsed since last December. I wanted The Comeback Show to be a special, like, a documentary, a musical, or an exclusive interview that no one's ever heard before. I've got a few of them in the vault, but that would require a lot of editing from me and a lot of mixing and mastering from Murphamish, who has mixed and mastered the next few episodes you're going to hear. But I decided to keep it simple and only do, it. just released the first four episodes as and my favourite interviews of, of the year, so that includes today's guest, John Higgs, Dominic Diamond, Mary Kiani, Mandarin from Bisson, I've, I'm not sure exactly what order I'm doing them all in, but uh, my famous Kindly Mix and Mastered a bunch of my favourite interviews of the year, so I'm just going to get them out there, and then maybe episode five or six I'll do an Ask Me Anything, or I'll do that documentary, or that, that uh, musical that I'd planned, but I've not got time to do spend too much time on it, so I'm just going to keep it simple. Quick intro, and then, then you can hear a brilliant conversation. Because you call it radio is not about me; it's about the people we speak to. And very honoured to have spoken to so many funny and intelligent people. And so I just going to keep it simple. There's been so much drama, trauma. Unstable happenings over the last year. I've been lucky to be involved in so many brilliant events. But the only consistency this last few years of my life. Has been having the amazing opportunity. To speak to so many gifted artists. Community workers. Just general interesting characters. Now you call out radio is no funding. No adverts. No sponsorships. So I just want to. Straight off the bat, thank everyone who supported us at patreon.com forward slash you call that radio. If it wasn't for the patrons at patreon.com forward slash you call that radio, this show would not exist. So thank you very much. Whether you support us on Patreon, whether you're a YouTube member, or whether you donate it, coffee.com forward slash you call that radio. You guys are the key workers that makes this possible and the next stage is very exciting because I'm finally going to be moving into some studio office space in the next week or two. I'm just making, just, just for buying, just buying stuff, just been working and buying stuff so that we can do live streams in real time and have live music sessions and real conversations face-to-face and we're very, very close. So that's all because of the support of you guys on Patreon and YouTube. So thank you so much. We have built a and it's because of you, and uh, you can see more of, if you don't know about this show, this is the first time you've tuned in, You call that .coms the website, everything we do should be on that, and my name's Mark, I host the show, and I'm in a band called the Gyro Babies, I'm in another band, which is kind of like, Gyro Babies is a post-punk band, for lack of a better word, Jackal Trades is more hip-hop electro stuff and yeah I, I was uh, involved in a, a book for festivals and various events and stuff and obviously during lockdown the events were made illegal so we just doubled down and made it went kind of went from audio podcast to live stream podcasts on YouTube and Twitch and Facebook and stuff like that so I've been I've been neglecting the audio podcasts, but not anymore this one's for you The person that just likes an audio podcast, like myself. I don't really watch podcasts on YouTube, I prefer just an audio podcast. So it's for you. a person that just wants words, just words. No visuals, just words. Aimed directly into your earlobes. It's for you, the, the dog walkers walking about the park with your headphones on. The people washing the dishes or cooking a spaghetti bolognese and you've just got it in the background. The people driving to work, the long distance drivers, the slow joggers, and the people who just listen in so they can steal my ideas. This one's for you. It's also for the ones that are on their holidays, or travelling, or maybe just travelling on the bus going to work. I hope you have a great day at work today, or if you're just coming back from work, I hope it was a good day at work. It's also for the ones like myself who put a podcast on because they can't sleep. And they're just hoping that you'll be bored to sleep, but also happy if you get entertained. That's the way I see podcasts. Put them on if you can't sleep. It helps me switch off. And I don't think you'll be getting bored to sleep tonight, though, because we have John Higgs. And so I think you'll be entertained and you might even learn something today. It is one of the greatest authors and speakers of all time, John Higgs. Now, when I see speakers, he's not only just an interview, but he does great talks, and also the most of his um, work, I have actually listened through the the format of audiobooks, and it's a skill in itself. And then my favourite was uh, K.O.F. Chaos Magic and the Band Who Burned a Million Pounds. It's an incredible piece of work. He's just actually released this week, Love and Let Die, Bond, The Beatles and The British Psyche. So it's like the... The James Bond and the Beatles came out in the same day, and it sounds like such an interesting book. We talk about that in the show today. We also talk about the KLF story and uh, William Blake versus the world, which is what I was listening to on my way to from a plane in Spain to a hospital in Glasgow. I was listening to William Blake versus the world, so that's just to set the scene. This was in May, by the way. So picture the scene: I just got off a plane from Spain, to go to a hospital in Glasgow, and then then we went live into this conversation, I wasn't exactly feeling in top form, but I've never cancelled a gig or an interview, and immediately I found John to be very good natured, down to earth, guest, he knew his onions, but he was very humble, he instantly calmed me down with his insight, and distracted me from the horror of the world around me, that I was engulfed in at the time, things are fine now by the way, pretty much everything's fine now. But just wanted to give you some background to the day, it was a sunny day, I think it was in May, yes it was originally recorded in May 2022, so that's important to note, in case you think you've woke up in a different timeline and got your equinoxes mixed up. I'm sorry it's taking such a while, but here we are, we're back, it's season three, episode one, is John Higgs on you call that radio, the audio podcast. I got you, I got you, ready? One, two, one, two, one, two. Yo, this is Charlie Tuna from Jurassic 5 Live and Direct here in Glasgow, Scotland, and you call
1: that radio?
0: (laughs) You call that radio? It's left, but I'm just back from Spain. So I don't really know anything that's going on, really. But I do know that we have one of my favourite writers just now. On the way back from the airport, we had to stop via accident and emergency. So we'll dedicate this show to Joe, who's in hospital just now. She's doing fine, I, th- I believe. Um, so with this dedicated to you, Joe. I hope you're feeling a bit better. And let's go live to John. Um, I believe. Can you hear me, all right, John? Yeah. Hello, Mark. How are you? Yes. I'm good, mate. I'm good. It's been a very, it's, it was a strange, it's been a strange, uh, it's been a strange time in general, isn't it? But she yeah, I right, got yeah. out in the sun, as you can see, I, I can't, we're a wee bit burnt. Um, <laughs> hence the red background to match my face. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I'm good. We went to uh, Space Mountain, the youth does. Mm.
1: It was a great mm-hmm.
0: experience. Getting. I got to jam with youth as well. Got. We did a wee oh, we, Kind of After the live acts, was a bit of jamming going on. So it was great to just, just, just be there. So yeah, I'm yeah,
1: we, we were, we were this close to going to the Killing Joke tour, but we were just thinking it's still a bit COVID-y. We didn't know, didn't know if it was yeah. wise. This is a few months ago, and we didn't go. And I just feel oh, did it, did it. That was wrong choice. I feel I should have got. <laughs> <Is that
0: wrong? laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's just so it's so surreal to speak to you because I've just literally been listening to um, your amazing book, audiobook, William Blake, while I was in the air trying to stave <laughs> off anxiety of flying. I'm not terrified of flying, but sometimes it just feels a bit weird. Um, <laughs> and your book sort of helped me, distract me with some amazing stuff. Um, that I, I'm a, For anyone who doesn't know, um, John has got a, a fantastic back catalogue of stuff. I first became aware of you, I think maybe, through obviously being a fan of the KLF, yeah, i just seen the name of the book, The Band Who Burned a Million Pounds, and I just went, right, I've got to do that. So, yeah, man, that is my... I was just saying to you before we went live, but just I'll say it to other people. If you haven't heard it or read it yet, I would recommend it highly. And if you're... Even a, I did it, an audiobook version, and it was just an incredible story, and so well told as well. I mean, is there an approach to your audiobooks? It, you seem naturally quite good at it. it is, do do you think editing. about it at
1: all? You'll, you'll, you'll realize when I'm talking to you now, it's the same, but with like the and uh <laughs> and like words going wrong and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just magic. It's like I can speak like I'm really coherent and competent. Yeah, man. Well, I I, 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 I
0: do agree. sometimes do a bit of um, pre, well not pre written, but sort of practiced audio. Pod- I do. This was an initially an audio mm. podcast where it wasn't live, so I had a I had the, the the opportunity to do extra takes so that I wouldn't make stutters or repeat yeah. myself. Uh, but the problem, uh, what is good about this is there's less editing involved, so I get things done quicker and you can do more shows that way. Yeah, but, have you seen the, this KLF
1: film that's just come out, Who Killed the
0: KLF? Well, I was going to ask you about that. I don't know anything about it apart from, I, I know that you were doing a talk about it last night. Is that right? I think yeah, seeing... it
1: was at the, at the Comedia here in Brighton. There was a big screening of it. Amazing. And the director, uh, Chris Atkins, was down. So being here, I was sort of chosen to host it and and, and talk to him. Did I'm you just, get away um, with the copyright for the music? Because I remember
0: there was a bit of a hoo ha yeah. a couple of years ago when they were saying that they wouldn't be allowed to use the copyright for the music or something. It's they... been a
1: massive hoo ha for, for a number of years. Not least with the director going to jail halfway through and like editing it in in jail. He, but he was basically <laughs> he, <laughs> that, he basically got some. Lawyers. So te-
0: the, te- the correct technical term is hoo ha here. <laughs> so yeah so what, what what happened and um yeah and first of all is it good is it any good is it turned out yeah well? it's
1: good i think you'd like it it's, it's great actually it's kind of like um uh it's like it's like a version of my book for people who don't read books Is how i sort of see it it should it should sort of reach more for all the people who don't actually sit and read books these days but it's uh, you know tell tells the story really well and it sounds great this is being in a, a cinema and hearing the music on the proper sort of speakers like that, oh, it really holds up a lot of their stuff. Yeah, it's 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 superb. It's really good. So, what? Why did he go to jail? The director, the director Chris. It was he did. Um, he, he did. He, he did documentaries like there's one called Taking Liberties, which was um, about civil rights in the Blair era. Uh, he did one called Star Suckers, which was uh, about the Murdoch empire and how the press worked and all that sort of stuff. He did a he It it basically makes the biggest enemies he possibly can. He did this, this thing for channel four called UKIP the first hundred days. And it was one of the most complained about uh, TV programs in history with all the UKIP supporters just being really furious about it. I don't know whether there's something in him that just wants to start a fight with the biggest bad person in the room, but that's his level. And he decided he wanted to make a, a film about the KLF. And Bill he met Bill and Jimmy and they were like, No, we don't want you to make a film about the KLF. And it was just like a red rug, a red rag to a bull to him. You know, he just he was just straight away working his way through fair use law and all and all this all this sort of stuff. And it's been a, a huge political uh shit show kicking off in the background. Lots of legal cease and desist letters and all this stuff was I'm only I'm only I'm a bit apart from it, so I'm just hearing, you know, uh once removed, but it sounded like an absolute nightmare. Until it's finished, and then he gets a call uh from from I think it was Bill, you know, would you come and meet him and Jimmy in this this cafe? And he turns up and they're like, Oh, we've seen your film, it's great, we really <laughs> really like it. <laughs> so happy ending after all all that. But that's just sheer um stubbornness of him, right? The real st- this is over a ten-year period. Just that refusal to accept that something can't be done. It's very Ken Campbell-like. You know, Ken Campbell's in the KLF uh, book, if you if you know who he is. He was a very big inspiration to Bill Drummond. Uh, uh, just that sense that if it's impossible, that's the thing you should be doing. This real sort of sort of uh, magically stubborn um, belief in uh, just it will. You know, you just. One foot ahead of each time, you just do it, and you just not let nothing stop you. Uh, and it's a great lesson for anything creative, and, and and great lesson for life in many ways.
0: It's it's interesting. I can I can totally see the. I read a little article just before we went live um, about the copyright thing. So I was like, because I noticed mm. that you were doing a talk last night yeah. about about the film, and I was I was just wondering because I remembered the copyright thing, and when, when I googled it. I think it was that was two thousand and sixteen. I believe that article. Oh yeah. <clears throat> so that was when there was that. That was when there was a bit of a back and forth about copyright, and mm-hmm. I can kind of see it from the KLF's point of view because, on one hand, uh, well, I can see from both sides because, on one hand, they they deliberately they they don't they didn't want their story being told by someone else, which is which is fair enough. Yeah. But At the same time, they've not exactly been too stringent with copyright laws themselves in the past. And I, don't, I was going to actually notice that's, that's, that's a
1: polite way of putting it, Mark.
0: <laughs> is it is it true? Is this true or is this just a myth that the word uh, KLF was supposedly stood for the, cooperation, the Copyright Liberation Front or the Copyright true. Liberation Fund?
1: Yeah, like a lot of things with the KLF, it's both true and not true at the same time. They're they're contradictory, but it didn't really stand for anything. KLF, but at the same time, it stood for you know Kings of Low Frequencies and Copyright Liberation Front and King Lucifer Forever, which is (laughs) pretty heavy. That's a pretty heavy one.
0: That's actually one of the the, uh, something can be uh, false and real at the same time. You were talking that I was just I was just listening to that on the aeroplane. That was uh, I think you were discussing. About flat earth and the round earth. Could you, can we talk a little bit about that? I mean, just for anyone who's so it is possible to be right and wrong at the same time.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a matter of perspective, really. And um, I can't remember what I was saying about the the flat earth, but I mean, for me now, I think it was
0: like, maybe if it helps, it was like more like, um, it's, if you're putting satellites in the sky, it's not as simple as a circle Earth that we see. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah. So, uh, I mean, the, the notion that um, the Earth is is flat is perfectly fine for everyday use, right? It's only if you need to, like, phone Australia or, you know, fly around the world, it, the whole thing falls apart. You need to accept that the, the world is sort of round, uh, and that works perfectly fine. But the world, it ain't really round. If you look into uh, space-time, it's, it's this sort of, it's this morphed, um four-dimensional shape being sort of affected by the gravity of the sun it's really the shape of the world is this horribly complicated you know thing uh uh so when you go oh well the world is round it's not strictly true it's far but it's it's far more complicated than that but using that model is a perfectly good model for everything you need for for most everyday things the idea that the the earth is round is true enough you know Uh, in the same way that the Earth is flat is true enough for a lot of other things. Um It's very, it's very. um If you're a real fundamentalist and you and you go, no, this is real logic. This has, has to be true or sort of not true. You know, it's sure. You think, oh, that must make sense. It must be like that. It just ain't like that. You know, it just. It's just a it's just not uh, a, a useful model of how the world works you've just got to allow for sort of contradictions and different perspectives and different angles and different different ways of seeing things and you you know you'll think one thing one day and you'll think the other the other day so it's it's a it's time is a factor in truth and all these all these sort of things you yeah, the, think what what importance is does it work right does it is this a useful enough model of reality for me to get or get by you know am i gonna Fall flat on my face if I use this, you know. If it works enough, that's probably more important. than Whether it's ideologically pure,
0: I can tell by when you listen to your work or read your work that you are open to be open-minded to be proven wrong.
1: Yeah, I, I, ne- I would a, never say I'm wrong. <laughs> that. A lot,
0: a lot of people have in social media where by they're not willing to change their mind.
1: Yeah,
0: um, based on new information which seems yeah. a, a little bit of a worrying trend just now. and We kind of seek out, I mean, we're all guilty of it to some extent, but, you know, we try and seek out things that back up our perspective. Totally. Um, we're not really open-minded to, to
1: ever being wrong. Um, there's Often you, you look at, uh, not picking on air in particular, but there's a, a sort of psychological need to be seen to be Right. Need to be right on every issue. I have to have the right sort of thing, you know. It's a, and the the thought that you know you're wrong horrifies people a lot. It's it's um and you have to sort of wonder where this comes from because we're all doing our you know we're all doing our best. We've all got different perspectives. We've all got different levels of experience. We all see things in in different ways. No one has the one true uh, model of sort of reality. You know, there's like six billion people on the planet, right, and they all. And you won't find two people who see everything the same down to every minor detail, who agree about everything, you know. So th- the chances that you're the one person out of those six billion like, who, like, got it right, right, and all the others are just, like, you know, idiots who don't get it. If, if you know anything about statistics, that ain't-, that ain't the case. That's not that's not going to happen. Yeah, You know, the fact that you're wrong shouldn't it be an issue. You're bound to be wrong about some stuff. You're bound to be wrong about other stuff. Um, you can try and be less wrong In that fact, that's really a, a noble, you know, way to live your life Trying to be sort of less wrong You're never going to be, you know, completely And maybe just evil. see it as a
0: learning experience
1: if Yeah, you're some, yeah absolutely of, If
0: you're wrong about something, then you've learned something And that's yeah. a good thing, surely
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah It's, it's, that, it's that thing like if you, um, if you don't know, you know But you ask, okay, you feel a bit foolish uh, But then you know So that's better than not knowing, you know being, being wrong and being a fool is that's that's the basic bedrock <laughs> of where we are. You know, you got to accept that level if you can sort of build anything on top of it. Who's in the house? We have got Joe
0: Buchanan. Hello, Joe. Hello, Kirsten. Hello. Oh, uh, oh you yeah, cut. Joe says, "Always wondered what it actually stood for." So basically, we can just make our own up. Like, keep loving forever.
1: Oh, who's this? This, if, so if you heard some scratching, uh, this it's this beast, and he's just trying to destroy the sofa behind me, so just ignore that if that's... A... <laughs> and <laughs> what that's was what the, is...
0: what's the beast called? He's called Dennis. Dennis? Dennis the Beast? Yeah.
1: Because, like, my daughter was, uh, was, she I don't know, eight or nine when we got the cat, and she was allowed to name the cat, and she was really into the Bino. So oh, right, so is that. Back called Dennis. You know, now 10, uh, 12 years, 12 years later now. It's uh, shamed so much into the Beano these days, but uh, he's still called Dennis.
0: How do you choose your subjects? Do you have like a a, a big list of potential books or you. subjects that you would like to delve into, and then do you just let wait until you think that you've got you've got the 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 enough there to kind of start to work on?
1: Yeah, I do. I usually have about roughly five sort of potential books sort of cooking in, 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 the, uh, in the background. Because um, you've got to think about something for many years before you're in a position to sort of uh, get, it down, get it down on paper. And it is weird. It is sort of like they choose me. It does feel that way. It, it does, you know, they just sort of turn up. And there's this, um, and they're quite well behaved when you're working on a book. And they just sit in the background, but after you finish that book, it's kind of like the lottery where one bubbles up and pops out and goes, "I'm next," and all the others are sitting, sort of waiting. The other one sort of pops up like that. Uh, it's it's odd. It's odd experience. It's um, there's never sort of any sense of oh, I wonder what I should write about. It's just like oh, I've got to get all this down so I can get the rest. Get the rest. So would of it. you it's, say it was five
0: years of thinking before you started on KLF, or are you are you writing oh, notes? You, yeah. Kind of, because obviously, I mean, for people who maybe aren't aware of the KLF, maybe you should go and read the book straight away. Go and order mm. it; you wouldn't regret it. But you know, for for, um, I was just a bit young with the first time round to sort of take it all in. And obviously, they, 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 I know that they deleted their back catalogue, which made it a little bit harder to (laughs) delve into their back catalogue. I know that they. They burned a million pounds, I was aware of that and I remember the Brit Awards I wonder have to remember the Brit Awards where they mm. sort of it's a, it was the Brits when they came on stage with, with like fake replica machine guns and sort yeah. of sprayed the audience and so there's obviously those there was all, all these big um, sort of moments in their history but was, was there anything Is was, was there a, what's the most interesting thing you learned about the KLF while you were researching
1: the book oh that's a good question um that uh, that one was a bit different in that it was uh, one of the first things that I wrote. Uh, it was at that point, I'd basically turned 40, and I'd sort of, you know, using your midlife crisis to advantage, I decided I would try and make a living writing books. Um, and I heartily recommend using your midlife crisis in, in that sort of way. I, that works out quite well. Uh, the left was sort of something I'd been thinking on about ever since they burnt the money. It was... Um, it was it was in the it was in the newspaper. I think it was the Observer or something. There was a big article about it when it sort of happened, and I remember reading this and just it was it was like some cog was shifting in the background. And I um I cut it out and I kept it. And I've never done that before. I'd never done kept an article or anything like that. I just thought oh, I'm going to need this uh, and cut it out. And it just when when things are sort of rational and and make sense. Um, they're easy to move past you can you know you hear about I don't know World War II or whatever and you go okay I get what that is when it doesn't when it just sort of sticks in your craw and you can't process it um you, I couldn't get it I couldn't let, get let it go and it was odd because it seemed that everyone else could people seemed to move on quite you know quite quickly and, and stop talking about it um, but it was always there sort of bugging me what what was this? Because uh, it was a sign that, you know, if something happens that your uh, your model of reality cannot process, there's a clue that, you know, you're, there's a flaw in your model of reality. You know, your your model's not good enough. You need a better model. You need to learn something here. So this, this is the, the indicator that um, uh, you're, you're onto something. Um, so, so, yeah, I think I've been thinking about that for like 17 years by the time I had the sort of, uh, Self belief to sort of sit down and and start writing, and it just poured out over a few months. Over about three months, it just came it just came really really quickly because all the, you know, the, the proper work um, had, had been done by that stage. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if that's answered your question at all. But
0: <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, it's, a, it's a great answer, man. Great answer. Did you have any issues like um, the the like with the the band with the band? Where the band- did, the ba- Did you contact the band early on? or? or no, I, I intended like-
1: to. When I started, I thought, well, I'll just do a bit more research then I'll get in touch with them and, uh, and say I'm doing this and all this sort of stuff. But the more I got into it, the more the spirit of the thing seemed to be to not do that. Because you're trying to um, capture them. You're trying to capture the spirit of the thing. Um, and the spirit of the thing was not to go and ask nicely, you know, the way that they didn't ask if they could take huge chunks of the Beatles or ABBA or anything like that they just sort of went ahead and did it it just felt uh, important just to go ahead and write it and do it and it was at the time when like Kindles had just started and you could just self-publish on Amazon, which is what it started out as Um, there was just a way, there was no gatekeepers to sort of, you know, try and shape it into like a, a, a proper music book that that you'd expect that they would want. There was nothing stopping me from just sitting and writing it out and putting it out into the world, Um, which I did. And it just sort of, it just sort of took off. It's still taking off. It's still sort of going nearly 10 years later. It's still, um, I'm still hearing about it pretty much, you know, every week. It's um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a thing. So yeah. So I never contacted them. Um, I just put it out. And then after about a month, I got an email from Bill's manager sort of saying, Bill has seen your book on the. Bill very much likes your book on that. On the <laughs> okay. And so I went and met Callie, which is Bill, Bill's sort of manager, um, which, is, which is really interesting. But I've sort of kept my distance from them. Um, I, generally, I I wouldn't advise doing that. You know, it's people's lives um, to sort of take them and turn them into a narrative of stuff. It is, is a little odd. It's a little bit odd. I thought I had the right to do it because. They, they when they took the film with the burning money, they sort of went round the country doing this tour and asking people um, for a reaction to it, asking you know what it was. And so I figured this was my response. They wanted a response. This was my response. It took taking me seventeen years, admittedly, but you know that's that's me. Uh, so it felt valid for that sort of reason. I don't I don't think there's any other sort of uh, stories you could be that you know out of order and cheeky about.
0: Yeah, because I suppose when you're saying it as people's lives, it, it, it's not really touching on people's lives because it was all it was very mythic- mythical, mysterious. Yeah. And it's sort of like how, how you perceive all these, all these, this incredible story. So, yeah, go and, go and check that out, guys, if you've not already. And um, Just, just like I said, my favourite audiobook of all time, that one. And I'm right now absolutely loving uh, uh, the 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 Blake one, William no, Blake versus God. the world, it's in- incredible, for anyone who doesn't know anything about William Blake, can we give a, a little sort of brief backstory to who he is, was?
1: Yeah, uh, William Blake was this 18th century um visionary, That's I mean, that's the word, he was a visionary, he was uh, uh, an artist, he was a painter, uh, he was a mystic, he, he, he saw visions which he captured and he he put into his work, he was, um, not a success in his lifetime. You know, he, he, um, he had one exhibition, uh, one solo exhibition in, in his lifetime, which is like above his brother's shop and they like, they sold nothing and they got, um, one review, which called him an unfortunate lunatic. And he was buried in a pauper's burial ground in Don Hill Fields. And, um, I, on, on, a lot of levels, it looked like the world had sort of defeated him and um, his life looked tragic, but, oh, God, it wasn't. It really wasn't, and 200 years later, we're in a much better position to um, uh, marvel, uh, you know, at what he'd done and what he'd uh, come up with. Um, you know, people probably know, like, especially in England, from the lyrics to Jerusalem, the hymn Jerusalem, which is the sort of unofficial uh, English national anthem. There isn't... There isn't an official English national anthem. Um, you're supposed to, uh, you know, use "God Save the Queen" or whatever it is, um, but there is, and it's Jerusalem, and everyone knows it, and everyone sort of agrees on it, uh, and that makes it more special because it's not like being imposed on us. We're not; it's not being handed down and told that this is us. It's just everybody accepted it is and it's a, and it, Blake has a vision uh, that really counteracts a lot of the. Crap with England, you know. Jerusalem is is uh, it's not um, the hymn I'm talking about here. It's not um, oh we're great, which is the usual you know national anthem. It's it's uh, it's we could be better. Yeah, it's got this nostalgic thing for an idealized past. There was an idealized past which we sort of which we all love, but it had that real sort of we could be better than this, and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and Blake is unique in that. He's as famous as a writer and a poet as he is a, uh, an artist, a painter, uh, a visionary artist. He was an engraver. He did all these these watercolors, and they're just like images of a, another world. You you just see them and you just go, "Oh my god, that it's real." To think that the the visions that he's talking about, I, I sort of believe I believe them because the the quality in in his work is just extraordinary. Um, yeah, you don't get anyone else like that. There's no one else who's in the canon for being a writer and uh, uh, an artist of, you know, at that sort of level. He said, this extraordinary man is William Blake. But the, the problem is, I think a lot of people think that they're not, like, allowed to sort of engage with his work. Uh, it's, like, too weird. Uh, a lot of it is really enigmatic and confusing and strange and... and um, it's just really sort of there's a lot of melodrama, it's all very gothic. It's um it also there's a sense that you know there's like the, the priests of Blake are sort of keeping him from the people that they they, they have the one true vision of him and they're sort of trying to protect it and and you know um and and stop other people finding other aspects of Blake that they sort of relate to. Um and so the book was very much uh intended as as like for people who had been attracted to Blake or seen something or heard a line or uh, seen an image and thought, oh, that's interesting. It's it's like, uh, hopefully it's a key, you know, it's a key to, 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 to allow yourself in to, to his mind and his work and um, to allow you to sort of, you know, have a knowledge of him because uh, it's, it's worth it. It really is. It's really worth it. Having Blake in your life, does improve the quality of your life I, I swear i swear that's that's the case it's um, there's aspects in blake that are just missing in the rest of our media like in the newspapers and in the tv and, and stuff like that there's, there's aspects of what it means to exist and what what life can be like um that no one talks about like publicly um and so to find them in blake uh, and just to be reassured that, no, actually, yeah, that we are more than this. We're all bigger than this. This is, um, there's a transcendent aspect to life. Uh, you can deny it, but it doesn't matter because there is, it's still, it's still, it's still there. Um, yeah. Blake's amazing. I, I, I really hope people will give him a go and, uh, uh, and explore his work.
0: Wouldn't you see <clears throat> visionary? You mean it in the sort of true sense of the word. word. I think the, the bit I'm at, I think it's maybe chapter seven. Hopefully I'm saying this right. Is it, um, you start talking about hyperfana, hyperfanatasia.
1: Hyperphantasia.
0: Hyper, yeah. Hi, hi, sorry, Um yeah. And it's like, so obviously we've had the synth, 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 synthanasia. Yeah, that's right. Which is actually, I know somebody who actually has that, where the mm. music makes them see colours. Yeah, that they, yeah. they, they spent most of their their childhood just thinking that everybody's seen it. Oh, that's a blue song. Yeah, oh, that's a or or whatever. Um. So, can we just talk a little bit more about what, what this is because it's the first I'd ever really heard of it. Although I had I had pondered it before because it was about how I think it was just a meme or something someone shared and it was about how some people see things in their mind's eye and some yeah. people don't. And I wasn't really sure where I kind of fit into that because. It's like, I, I felt like I could see the thing, so I think what you were saying is that I'm probably quite average in that respect. That yeah. I, I, I think you talk about a cow, for example. You, if you ask someone to picture a cow, you can yeah. see the cow or your kitchen, you can see your kitchen, but you some, for some people, it, it's they, they're seeing it in real life, and it can actually be quite upsetting if it's if they're maybe reading a news story or something. Like that so could we just talk a little bit about what that what yeah. it
1: actually is? It's it's it, it's, based, it's basically a spectrum, um, uh, it goes from aphantasia at one side which is to have no mind's eye at all um to hyperphantasia which to have a really sort of vivid um uh, mind's eye so if you just shut your eyes as you say imagine your kitchen or imagine a cow you know it's basically you can see the cow and you can like you know feel the 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 the, the, the heat of the breath and and the and the smell of the, you know, it's it's, it's like the cow's there. The cows. Vivid. Most people have a sort of vaguely cow, cow, cowish thing sort of pops up in their head. And they're like, all right, that's a cow. But it's not as good as looking at it as a cow. Hyperphantasia, when it's so real and like so vivid, there's very little sort of uh, difference. Just I'm, I'm at the other side of this. I'm, I'm aphantasic. I don't have a mind's eye or very, very little. Um, and that's also weirdly common as well. Weirdly common in artists, like the staff at uh, Pixar. There's a huge amount of them. Uh, fantastic They don't see things in their mind. If I shut your eyes and say a cow, it's just like ain't nothing there. It's just, it's just. I'm so, just so, sorry, I, I've just
0: actually anyone watching on YouTube. I've just done a poll. Can you see a cow? If you shut your eyes, can you see a cow? I've uh-huh. asked the audience. So
1: let's see what they say to it. Um, I'd, I'd imagine you'll get a whole range of you know uh, yeah. uh, different things. But everyone thinks that that's are normal, you know. But this is how I see it. So you assume everyone else is like that. It's not like that at all. It's a really varied thing, and it's only something they've started to um, uh, explore and examine in you know the last few years. Uh, there's a there's a Dr. Zeman, um, I think it's Exeter University, who coined the phrase aphantasia, and he's done a lot of work. Who I spoke to about um, all this. But it's it is fascinating because not being able to. Uh, visualise things in my mind, which I, which I can't, means I'm really shit at remembering faces. And and my autobiographical memory is just crap. Um, but I'm... Uh, but I think in a sort of different way. I'm very good at um, seeing connections between things and how things fit together and and uh, uh, larger pictures and, and conceptualise things in a way that's... Uh, uh, hopefully that's sort of comes across in my in my book but Blake was the opposite of me he you know he, he um he would always talk about he saw in his mind everything that he painted it was all real and sort of vivid to him um every, every everything was he was recording his the visionary world uh and the power of his imagination um is central to him and and, and his belief that imagination was the was really the divine aspect Entering the sort of material world, that's the, the the imagination is really what sets us apart and makes and makes things special. There's a lovely, um, do you know the, the ghost of a flea? Uh, a painting of Blake's, this horrible little scaly fucker. He's got a, he's got like a, an acorn full of blood, and he's he's like a little monster, but he's the ghost of a flea. Uh, and uh, oh, I'll bring on the screen, drink, drinking his, his little cup of of, of of blood, and he's supposed to be like a rich, you know, uh, successful person in in the in the real world. But spiritually, he's a flea. You know, that's the idea. And there's a this great thing where he's doing the sketches for it, and um, the thing he could see it in his mind eye, and the thing moved, and it wasn't like he was he had control of what he was seeing. He had to sort of start again and draw it with its jaw in a different position because the little bugger had sort of moved. Uh and it's it's just an indication of just um how he was just recording these these visions that were so real to him. Uh the power of his mind was, was amazing. Yeah, there he is. Look at that horrible thing.
0: <laughs> so he, he um the way I understand it is he's literally seen that in the room. Yeah. And there was a great bit where he were explaining that one time one of these his subjects, or for lack of a better word. Moved or opened its mouth, and he had to yes, actually it. move around to, to to continue doing it. So, so it goes back to yourself as well, though. So, would you say because you hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, I'm terrible with names, but I'm good with a face." So, would you yeah. remember the name but not the face?
1: I'm pretty crap with names as well. <laughs> it's not. It's not good. It's, it's it's not good. And the amount of times I've I've met someone and met them again and and 'cause like I don't, I don't know. i I went for a drink uh, with. Uh, He's now a mate of mine, a guy called Andy Stark. He's a he does a film producer. He did um, he did the Delia Derbyshire documentary, and he does stuff like a Field in England uh, with Ben Wheatley. He does all this, this great sort of stuff. But I met him in a pub, uh, and then I arranged to meet him in another thing, and I didn't realise that he was really tall because he'd been sitting down. So I'm standing next to him. Do you wonder? <laughs> gotten failing to recognise a man I just spent you know a night in the pub with the other night. It's just very embarrassing. Uh, and you know you you, you just you, you come across as a rude bugger, but it's not, it's not it's not the way my mind works. I just have a concept of people, um, and I don't immediately picture in my head who they are. It's, it's odd.
0: I'm quite good with faces, but
1: mm. I
0: suppose the problem that happens is I think there's a really good study on this, is that going, we're only designed to know a hundred and thirty faces or something. Um, Going going back to instinctual tribes or whatever, so you needed to know your tribe and maybe who the enemy tribe was or your neighbouring tribe. But there wasn't really any need for all that. And now with social media and stuff, you know, we've got we're watching all these celebrities on television or musicians. And you know, if you're if you're in the music scene, you don't even need to be in a band like like Mm. I am. But you you are just meeting so many people, and sometimes you only meet someone for a split second after you've came off stage. I remember right that while well, you've got an adrenaline rush, maybe just yeah, a short I'm, chat with someone I, and you might not remember. So i was just, just assume that I've met everyone less likely to offend anyone that way. And, you know, though, once or twice a year, you'll get someone who will say, no, you've not met me before. But I think <laughs> that's quite rude as well. And I think that kind of filters them out because if someone says, oh, I think we've met before, come on, the, the polite thing is yeah. go, maybe we have, but... That must maybe maybe that's someone who's in the other extreme though because maybe they're so sure about everyone they've met, they're like, no, we've never met.
1: Yeah, I would remember
0: that. I certainly don't have that level of confidence. I think yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I I mean, our our memories ain't good. The human memory that a lot of what we remember happened in our past didn't really happen in our past. We've sort of it's something we recreate. We sort of turn. Into a story, and there's a lot of experiments where they'd show someone a photo of them in a, as a child at Disneyland, but with like uh, Donald Duck, and go, "Oh, do you remember this? When you met Donald Duck?" And go, "Oh yeah, it was brilliant. I loved it. We met Donald <laughs> Duck at this. I was so excited. It was a bit scary, but you know." And they go, "Oh, you didn't meet Donald Duck. at uh, You know, he wouldn't have been at Disneyland. He's, he's uh uh, no, Bugs, Bugs Bunny they used. That's, that's, oh, that's yeah, me.
0: sorry, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, it
1: wasn't a Disney character, so there was yeah, no way it Disney, happened. Yeah, someone that's definitely
0: not Disney because what if they were at Disney And um, they maybe did. And you're just going, yeah. oh, no, that never happened.
1: That, never, your favourite
0: child, it never, did, it never, really never actually happened.
1: Uh, yeah, but they, but because they'd seen the picture, their mind tells them the story of what it was like and what the day was like and it was hot and they'd had an ice cream and they were so excited to see Bugs Bunny or or whatever it was. And they genuinely believe that um, that's that's the case. And, and as, as also, we get I mean, as the, we get the
0: older, a lot of people have been locked away forever as well. I've been jailed because of a, a witness who apparently mm-hmm. picked someone out a lineup and said, "No, that was them that did it." And it's yeah. like, nah. You
1: just got yeah, like someone's
0: face, probably. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got Joe says he was very weird and mysterious. Remember learning some art about Blake and higher art. Mm-hmm. Uh, weird scene, and mysterious
1: is is a good description.
0: Uh, Joe's good with faces, Stuart is as well um, I love the red dragon and the woman yeah. clothed
1: with the sun That's the, that's a, that's the image they use in the, the film Red Dragon, the Hannibal Lecter movie uh, I don't know if you've seen that, the, the the serial killer in that Eats the painting of this dragon And it's this freakish image of this um, Just his back with his wings up and there's a, the woman clothed with the sun at the, at the bottom and uh it's just terrifying because you can't see the the, the um the, the red dragon um and so you see blake popping up in hannibal lecter movies or and like video games or graffiti or comics he's in quite a lot he's sort of yeah that's look at that thing jesus look at that, that. <laughs> terrifying isn't it and that the, the, and the more you learn about blake the more interesting these things become because the Oh, uh, he's got this really complicated sort of mythology of, of, of uh, interconnected sort of characters that um, is a little offput to start with. But you soon sort of get used to it. And there's a character in there called Eurism, who, who represents the sort of the rational side of our minds, the the, the lawgiver, the the one great truth. Um, and when that becomes fundamental, when he becomes a fundamentalist, that it ha- it just it's insecure it has to sort of insist that this is the one great truth and everyone must agree with it, right? And it sort of fights to make everyone see it. I think so. That's when it becomes the red dragon. That when it becomes the, it's years in this dragon form. So that image represents fundamentalism. Is this, is this the women who clothed with the sun? That's not, that's a copy of it. It's not, it's not by right. Blake. Okay. Um, that's that was interesting. I've not seen that before. <laughs>
0: I've just put in women clothed with the sun, Blake. I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, a Um, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I think this might this looks a bit like it might be it may be better. I'll just try that.
1: Yeah, the, the, that was the woman at the bottom. Uh, yeah. the, the dragon was sort of,
0: yeah, over the top. So, okay, yeah. so it's actually below that. Yeah, um, let me see if I can see that. Oh, right, okay. I think another one. Um, well, I'll, I'm going to try and oh, this is my last try and then I'm going to move on to something else, but this that's but- not it.
1: No, that's, that's it, yeah,
0: that's it That is it,
1: sorry Yeah, yeah okay. But I mean, they, these are full-on images, aren't they? The 18th yeah, century, incredible. you know, you weren't getting English artists great in things like this They were just, you know, painting the Lord of the Manor and his his sort of, you know, weird little kids in, in race the, the sort of the vivid sort of uh, imagination behind Blake and the, the compositions are extraordinary, you know, who who would have painted, if you're painting the Red Dragon, who would have painted, you know, that way, it's just got its back to you. So you can see it's the strength, the strength in those muscles, you know, just amazing artist.
0: And we've touched on imagination there as well, which is obviously a sort of reoccurring theme of, you know, creativity, just mm. to sort of imagine something into the, into the new world. And it, it was just, a, it was actually about a book that I've not read but I seen you doing an interview about it, and I think the kind of the general gist of it was, as the, as the as the present kind of falling apart, or is the future kind of falling apart, because oh, yeah. we no longer dare to to dream of a better future. And yeah, it was, so if, yeah you use I think you said it sort of stops running about Bill and Ted or something like that, or yeah. we stopped <laughs> imagining a better future, and then it all yeah, became I'm- dystopian sci-fi after that.
1: I did go back trying to find the last uh, positive image of the future in sort of mainstream media. You know, there's not there's um, there's Afro punk and there's um, solar punk and you know in, in, there's niches where you you can find it, but the the last positive image of the future that I could find was the bit in Bill and Ted where the future's kind of like now but got better water slides. Like that was that was the best that they could do. That was the best that they could come up with, and that was worrying, right? Because you know if if it's true that you know you have to imagine the future before you can build it and if no one could imagine it then that was a that was a bit of a worry but that, that was a book um it was a future starts here that I wrote in was it 2018 something like that and it was real in the sort of the middle of the, the Trump years and um, there was just no nothing positive nothing um, hopeful nothing um, to to Nothing inspiring in the culture. It's all gone. Um, It's better now. I think. I think it's better now than it was when I did that book. Um, But it's it's odd. I mean, if you if you writers sort of know this that if you want to make a living as a writer, you have to go well. You have to use all your wit and imagination to find a new, original way of saying why everything's terrible. We're all doomed. Um, and that way, you'll be taken seriously. That way, you'll be seen as as credible. Um, if you if you can come up with really new uh, ways that people hadn't really seen to worry before, uh, then you're going to be great. Uh, but if you're going, um, if you're saying something sort of you know positive or uplifting, it's sort of people are a bit sort of suspicious. It's it's like, oh, what's, what's this guy selling? It's, it's you only really see positive things in adverts, uh, and they're lying to you. So. You know, we've learned to sort of be suspicious um, uh, of them, um, but we need both. What well, we have, but I mean, it's not. It's never. Uh, you know, it's never a utopia or, or a dystopia. It's always a, a weird, imperfect world with good things and bad things, and, and it's the dynamic between them that's important. That that comes across really in Blake, um, but the notion that um, you know a. Uh, an optimistic mindset will look for like you know dozens of solutions to something, most of which will not work, but you know one might. Whereas a, a pessimist just won't bother; they won't bother looking for solutions. So, just statistically on those sort of levels, it's better to have like a pragmatic optimistic mindset for the future. That's that seems that seems the best way. And I'm I'm trying to def- separate you know pragmatic optimism. Which is when you sort of look at something properly and you see, the, you know, the, the the problems and you see where we are and you accept all that sort of stuff and then try and take an optimistic approach to dealing with it, to so like blind optimism where you just put your head in the sand and go everything's fine and I don't want to worry so it's all it's all good. that uh, uh, doesn't help anyone. You know, that's that's um, um yeah that's that's not going to help anyway. But a pragmatic, optimistic sort of. Um, Uh, the thing is important I think Um, because we're only here for a few short years Mark you know we don't have a lot of time we have a bit of time Uh, and if we spend that time thinking that it's all everything's awful and people are terrible well that's it that's it's gone then that's you sort of lost it you know then there's 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 aspects of um, being alive you're just not Using, you know there's, there's there's a lot of There's a lot of good, you know Aspects out there that should be part of your life You you deserve them Surely, surely you deserve them You know it's uh, And we do We, uh, we
0: are uh, capable, uh, humans are capable of coming up with good ideas I remember um, <clears throat> I don't know if you know Dan McGarvey Who won the Orwell Prize for Poverty Safari But he's a friend of the show He was oh, on last yeah. week And one of his examples is Um the lollipop man or the lollipop lady or whatever—that's yeah. yeah, an example. that was a good idea, yeah. Yeah. can't really complain about that. Yeah, that's quite a good yeah. a good idea to do that. And I, I totally agree with, with with when it comes to art, when it comes to our music, we um, you know both my bands, uh, Gyro Babies and Jackal Trades, we mm. go through some dark stuff, but I always want the album to have some some light humour in it, and also at the end, end on a sort of try and end the epic, but end it positive. Because mm. um, if you're taking someone down a a, a dark journey, I think mm. it's nice to have some light at the end, and I think that's the way.
1: Absolutely, you've got be. light and you've got dark, so Absolutely. you know, you, use them both. Use them both, definitely. There was, Are we um... a sitcom? I've got a note as well. I thought that was a good bit. You
0: were. I can't remember exactly what you were saying, but my note says, "Are we a sitcom?" Um, or something along those lines.
1: Um, yeah, I think. Do you that's remember what you were talking book? about? I know I'm kind of. I, don't, I think I never. starts here. Um, yeah. it's, it's, that was about how we saw ourselves. Um, the narrative that we sort of project onto where we are. Um, and certainly, as I say, at that time, it was very much, uh, we're, we're a tragedy, right? We are doomed. it's all, it's all over, you know, there's nothing good coming out of that, but it can also be a comedy because it's only at the very end in these things that, um, that you find out, you know, whether it'll whether the the hero gets the girl or in the you know the Greek definition of of comedy or or whether they die terribly or anything like that you don't really know until the end it could easily be a really dark bleak comedy uh but what we're trying to get is like the the sitcom thing where uh it sort of, it doesn't have an ending it just keeps sort of keeps going and keeps going. But you like you know you love the people and you love the setting and you want to go back into that world. So you just keep sort of going back into it and back into it. Um, If we could see ourselves as a as a sitcom, I think um, that's a healthy that's a healthy view of life. Um, That's that's much better than the uh, the the, you know the the really nihilistic uh, tragedies that you know the the newspapers telling you or or you know angry people and social media are telling you or whatever.
0: Yeah, because it's that if you don't laugh, you if you don't laugh, you'd cry mm-hmm. mentality. And I'm not always good at it, but sometimes you just have such a bad day where yeah. everything's just, you know, everything, you know, you can just feel everything that, that you just, it's having a bad day. The bus just f- goes away. Yeah. You know, some, I, I'm talking about obviously not, not a pure serious tragedy, family bereavement or anything like that, but just, you know, those days where everything is just going wrong, something's yeah. not worked. And... Yeah, you've got to just laugh at it. Um, I'm sold on pragmatic optimism, says <laughs> Um Stuart is saying, I, I think he's blaming aliens for Blake's um, inspirations. Is he now? Okay. Is that is that, is that, is that, is that been um, was that ever brought up? That's because obviously, old, I would imagine it because of the the you know the 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 quality of the art. And the mm. fact that he's drawn images, obviously, you ask him anyway. I mean, I'm terrible at drawing, but if you ask me to draw a dragon, I could probably do it. But yeah, I mean, how how did how did Blake have that image of a dragon? Yeah, in the, in the, in the
1: 1960s, in the sort of countercultural psychedelic 1960s, there was a belief that um, oh, it, drugs, he was he was tripping, because uh, a lot of what he describes does sound remarkably like um, uh, that he'd been on mushrooms or. or or something like that, which wasn't the case. Um, We could be pretty sure it wasn't the case because he, he, you know, had these visions from childhood up to the old age. It was constant for him. It was always like that um, for him. Um, And if you look at the – there's a lot of science into into what happens to your mind uh, on psychedelics that we're sort of learning from now that you can apply to Blake, though. So even though he wasn't taking, you know, mushrooms or – tripping. Similar things were sort of happening in his mind and in his consciousness. Um, it's probably too big a subject to sort of go into here. Um, but, yeah, that's the sort of thing people talk about uh, with Blake. Aliens I hadn't come across. I hadn't not come across anyone who's gone, oh yeah, aliens, yeah. Um, <laughs> so maybe I need to think a bit more about that one.
0: Uh, oh, the, the polls come and in- Back, um, interesting results. I think it's ninety-one percent can see the cow, and one <laughs> percent can't see the cow. Kid, who who said no? They couldn't see the cow. Um, I'd like to. They're, they're my well, people. I'd, hey, Fantasics. And um, the um, yeah, it was, and also, uh, Tam, Tam, who's a bit of a legend, Tam the Van, mm. um, has commented about. He says. So where is it? Where is it? Um, some people know how to make things happen. Which is actually another thing that I would I would like to talk about is mm. the doing things. Yeah, you mentioned about going out and doing things. Uh, could you expand on that a bit?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I mentioned Ken Campbell earlier, didn't I? He he was um, he really inspired Bill Drummond by having that attitude of you just you just do it and there's no excuse, you just sort of do it and certain people have this sort of it's almost like reality sort of warps around them and the most impossible things just sort of disappear away and sort of happen. Ken Campbell had it, his daughter Daisy Campbell who I know certainly has it. Um, Chris Atkins who did the KLF documentary. The reason I thought oh it's going to be him who makes I knew someone was going to make a film of it. Well, the reason I knew it was going to be him was because he had that exact uh quality uh about him. And um it is kind of rare and in theory learnable. You know, it's 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 a muscle that you sort of exercise. Um that, that sort of refusal to um be put off. Um and it's a, it's a straight, it's, when people have it, it's almost like, how can I put this? All right, I'll put this up. When like something really extraordinary happens, right, something really, you know, oh my God, that's quite sort of amazing happens. There's a period before it happens where everything sort of starts to sort of line up uh, to make to allow it to happen. It's almost like a, a pre-wake where things start sort of adjusting themselves in a way that just seems a bit odd. It just seems a bit fated. It's, 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 it's you can sort of, after a while you recognise it and you go, oh, hang on, something, something big is coming because the world is adjusting to allow this really statistically unlikely marvellous sort of, sort of things to happen. Um, It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. I don't claim to be able to tell you how to do it or explain what it is. (laughs) But I'd just say look out for it. Just keep just keep an eye out for you'll see you'll recognise it in people. They they have this sort of quality where just things work out for them a bit. It's it's odd, it is. Um Aliens.
0: No, I've seen it. I've I've seen it happen. And yeah, and you'll just I think it's some people have just got this sort of just sort of willingness not to be ground down by mm. certain things. Uh, yeah, it, it does appear to be some sort of magic magic at play.
1: A, lo- uh, a large part of it is um, a charisma that sort of convinces everybody else, so they all fall in and they all help and they all do what they can to support that person and, and stuff like that. Um, the, the ability to um, convince. A group of people. Uh is a is a massive part of it, I think. It's a it's a weird charisma. It's odd.
0: I wonder if I could use my charisma to get people to sign up to our Patreon or <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash you call that radio. With, um our patrons are actually going down since people have started having social lives again. So we're yeah. obviously realizing the price of uh, pints and the price of energy. Um, yeah, but right I shout out to all the patrons still supporting where this show would not be possible without them. And shouts to Kenny who said who joined the, the YouTube membership today as well. You are the key workers. We do appreciate it. Um Angela says she's got it. Hey she, I, Angela's got she's got it. She can Bend, bend the universe with her charisma, and Angela is a very charismatic person. Also, Angela is just one of those people who just—I don't know—just supports the local artists and and just generally just mm. listens to the underground, what's going on. Um, Stuart says destiny, and that, that's actually quite a good point because um, you, know, you know I've not, you know, i have not getting any um, religious uh, leanings or anything like that. But you know, I've had, um, ah, you know. Experiences, psychedelic and otherwise, or seen strange coincidences. So I'm always really interested in hearing other people's opinions on spirituality and you know all these different things. Just because I'm I'm curious about it. I don't believe anyone knows, or there would be we'd all know. I think I don't think we're, our, our brains can can are, are that level where mm-hmm. we can figure it out. And also I'm very skeptical of somebody who says they know the truth, but it's behind a paywall or whatever, you know, there's a lot of uh, fake gurus out there. But yeah, what would you, what would you say your your take on? Because obviously you, you, from what I've read um, so far, you do dip into sort of spirituality and the sort of the unknown. Um, Do you have any words of wisdom on,
1: on what you've learned so far or what you, what you think? Uh, The wisest thing is to answer no to that question. I think, Mm. I think, um, we only all have our own particular angle, you know. We only have our, our particular viewpoint at any one time, and um, we're going to need more than that. We're going to need other people's. We're going to, it's going to be more of a sort of a, uh, a, a, yeah. I don't have a good answer for that, Mark. I'm sorry. That's good though. Nobody like has I, a clue. So I was asked in the pub last it, night for basically the answer to all what's, the social... What's the life, John? Political ...problems in the in world. all right. That all right. World no, world. I was
0: going one further. That was what I mean in the life, mate. Um,
1: yeah, but... and it was like like Wednesday night in the pub, right? <laughs> I ain't, you ain't going to get that from me at Wednesday night in the pub. It's just asking too much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, 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 try, I try and do... I try. It slips in, but you, when you've written, you know, a whole bunch of books that I do. What, I, what I'm trying not to do is, uh, say here you go, this is how you should see things, right? This is this is the truth, right? I'm really trying just to go, here's some different ways of looking at things and then leaving it to, you to see if they're useful and, like, leaving it to um, uh, see if they're helpful and, you know, they're worth they're worth your time. Um, sometimes you, you slip in. Sometimes, your own know, politics sort of get in there. You can't sort of, sort of help that. Um, but the writers who are like... Real ivory tower, sort of, I will now tell you what the future will be and I will now tell you uh, how things are and stuff like that. I'm immediately mean, me suspicious of. Because if they believe that about themselves, they ain't the smartest, you know. They're really not. You, know. you ever had any
0: sort of mad moments of synchronicity or serendipity while yeah. you are creating your books?
1: Yeah. All the, all the bloody time I have to sort of... <laughs> sort of Uh, Blank them out. I mean, because I talk about that so much, I get a lot of people coming and, like, telling me their sort of stories. Um, And it shows me just how common it is. But it also it it shows me just how personal it is, that they're very, very meaningful to the person telling them to me. But they don't always come across as being that sort of, you know, powerful or sort of magical or something like that. I, I mean... What's an example? I did a book Watling Street, which is about this road that runs through England and Wales, uh, and I thought I'll do something about um, highwaymen, uh, and I'll be able to work it in because there's highwaymen around, you know. I'll work it into there somehow. And I did a lot about the um, the wicked lady, which was this great highwaywoman story. There, um, it was a great film of the wicked lady. Uh, it's it's everything you want from highwaymen and how women and w. So, only after I'd sort of written all this sort of stuff. Um, that I thought I'd go and actually work out where she lived. And her house was literally on Watling Street. And I had no idea that I'd chosen the one highway person who lived exactly on the road that the wider sort of book was about. Uh, And when you have moments like that, it's almost like you you know what the book is before you've worked out all the details. So they they sort of don't come in the right order. Um, It doesn't, there's no sort of logical sort of, Chain of causation between you know your thought processes and how the book sort of comes up. It's a whole, it's a weird one, sort of jumbled book. But I, I'm not sure if that me saying that would mean as much to people as it means to me. Because to me, it was having gone through the whole process over so many months, it was a real sort of Jesus Christ. I need to sit down. Fucking hell, this is that's. That's a shocker to me, but to most people, like okay, it's just on the road. You know. It's just a coincidence. Yeah, it's but the, uh, it's so incredible.
0: Yes, with so the personal. The, yeah, if it happens to you. Yeah. Like, I suppose it's kind of like telling someone a dream that happened. And you're like, yeah, oh, I, 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 and absolutely. Other people that like, All right, okay. Yeah, but, but to so the so person
1: who's had much. it was a real sort of it, it's the sort of thing that needs to be expressed. It meant that much to them. Um, that the the way we deal with meaning. Um, is, is important and it's important to, uh, value it. And it's important to sort of recognize that what's meaningful to some person is meaningful. And even if it's not meaningful to other people, that doesn't mean it's nothing. It doesn't mean it's nothing at all. Um, you know, we're all sort of, we all deserve like sort of meaning and purpose in our life. Right. And you, and you should look out for it. And when it comes, um, and it's sort of, it's not always there. It, it can sort of, there could be moments where you're just sort of drowning in synchronicities and drowning in, in purpose and meaning. And it's almost too much. And, you know, you can, you can lose your mind in those sort of times. And then there's times when, you know, it's like the tide's gone out and there, there seems to be no purpose to anything. And it's all bleak and it's all nihilistic. And it's—and a lot of life is, is, is accepting that, it comes and it goes and it sort of comes and it goes and just accepting where you are, that if it's gone, you know, it, it will sort of come back. Um uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Way putting it. it happens the same with creativity. It happens mm-hmm. the same with happiness. It's just yeah. it, co- it all comes in, uh, comes in waves. Yeah. Um, and just because it's
1: gone doesn't mean it no longer exists, you know.
0: That's and not. being able to recognise those patterns and those things when it does happen, because I think it's... Um, I think there's a... I think... Uh, oh, I heard, I heard a good... Someone putting better way, but I'd always kind of called it the funny bone theory. I didn't invent it. I don't know if it was... In, it may have actually been in your, your book or maybe <laughs> something else I was listening to recently, but... I
1: don't think it was me. It's like,
0: um, you know, like when, if you hurt your elbow off, a, off a, a door, that's all the, all you want is that to get better. Mm-hmm. And you could have been sad beforehand. And then once you've, your elbow's sore, you want it to be fixed and then you'll be happy. Like, if my elbow was just not... um. In pain, then I would everything would be fine. Uh, Joe says, Mine's work differently right now. Uh, Stuart says, Go with the moon. Well, I was I seen the blood moon eclipse <laughs> in Spain on Monday. That oh, was lovely! First I've seen. So that yeah. was great. Uh, talking about dreams, I've dreams most nights since I start of lockdown. So many. Mm. Do you, it, when you were talking about the fact that, um, sorry, I forgot the name again, it's um, hyper. So, aphantasia and hyperphantasia so how does that affect dreams because i've heard really interesting stories about people who are blind having uh, dreams and and things like that with with color and or or even i heard a story of a a blind person who had never seen before but smoked a lot of cannabis and then seen an explosion of colors and stuff Mm. like that would you say that your dreams are vivid or the more do you get more like sound or or do you even remember anything
1: I very rarely remember anything. I I, I remember the feeling of things. I remember, but I don't, but I mean, sometimes I do. I mean, I say I'm a I'm mainly aphantasic, but there are moments and it's usually when you're drifting off into sleep or coming out of of sleep, hypnagogic or I can't remember what the other one's called, um, those sort of stages. Sometimes I have dreams I can visualize. So my brain can do it. It just doesn't most of the time. Um, whereas people who have more vivid visual imaginations tend to be able to remember their dreams sort of a lot easier. And They do tend to be more visual things. If you look at the you know surrealist paintings of the, the earliest 20th century, they're very much very dream-like, dream landscapes and all that sort of thing that they can dream about, remember, see, and then sort of paint. I don't really have anything. I'd like it. I'd like things like that. It sounds nice. I'd be quite up for that but I don't have it. Angel says, "Kof, keep living free.
0: It's <laughs> a good one. It's good, <clears throat> good advice. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, I've got, sorry, I've not read all the comments. The, the, I'm going to let you go, John, because that's been over an hour. I've kept you. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I'd love to get you back on once I've read the rest of your books, because I'm, oh, that's yeah. me. I'm just going to binge through them all. Um, no, we didn't I've even touch it. on it yet, but you do have a Beatles book coming out, be- so Beatles it might be quite a nice Barbie. way to end it on, what can people expect, when's that coming out, and yeah, I mean, obviously the Beatles, it must be quite, but the Beatles, you've got so many records, so many stories, yeah. they've been the most famous band in the world, and, but I suppose it's been done a million times, so I'm sure you're going to come with your your own unique perspective, so what can people yeah.
1: expect, and when is it coming out? Well, it's about the Beatles and also James Bond. It's called Love and Let Die. It's out in September. Uh, And the the basic idea is that the Beatles and the Bond films um, are these two cultural monsters that completely sort of dwarf the rest of, you know, music and films and stuff like that. And neither of them make any sense at all. I mean, the, the notion that, you could start a film series with the same character that will go on for sixty years. It's ridiculous. It just, it just, you can't do it. No one can do it. If if you, if it's possible, everyone would be trying. But it's just Bond films don't make any damn sense at all like that. And in the same way, no one can do what the Beatles did. It's 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 just ridiculous. But they just appeared on the same day, on the fifth of October, nineteen sixty-two. The first Beatles single and the first Bond film. They just appeared. Um, and like one sort of represents love, the Beatles are love, and Bond films are death. And one's like the the sort of the establishment, and one's the sort of the people. Um, they had their are very um, different views of uh, of Britain, really, and, you know, and particularly England, and uh, and that how we become seen in the world. And it happened at um, this really sort of key time where the the story that we sort of tell ourselves about who we are. Uh, I'd finished. Um, Because we sort of have a national sort of narrative and it changes over the... Like, in medieval times, it was, you know, it was all our rulers are spiritually pure and they're seeking the Holy Grail and the the Arthurian romances were sort of the vision of the the matter of Britain, they were called. And that all faded. And, you know, 19th, early 20th century, it was all really sort of imperial and the Britannia rules the waves and uh, the sun never sets on the British Empire. It's like power. Yeah, uh, military power, financial power, and that was the story. Uh, and then, but after the Suez Canal thing, that all died, and um, the, the that story ended. And it was like, well, who, who is Britain? What is what is Britain? And it was at that point that these extraordinary, insane sort of cultural monsters on the same you know wet afternoon in October just just appeared and uh, shaped what it means to from these islands it, it, the massive global hits how this is how uh the country sort of is understood so looking at the Beatles and bond together um i just found fascinating i think it re- really revealed an awful lot about about class about male identity about how we've changed over over the 60 years um whilst at the same time you know having a lot of like you know car chases and uh uh and great Beatles stuff and uh, all that sort of uh, you know I do love the I love the Beatles a lot, uh which will probably come across. Uh so yeah, that's out in September, Love and Let Die. And I'm i make sure we'll send you a copy or something,
0: Mark. Oh, I'd love to love to read it, man. Love to see yeah. it. It's absolutely amazing. And I've just I've just kind of been because I've you just kinda i of t- I've been you know that I'm just take the Beatles for granted. Shout out to my mom yeah, and my dad, joking. our IP, but they love the Beatles growing up, so they've just always been there. And you just but him. Um, I watched them. Um, uh, always been a fan, always enjoyed them But get, just watched the Get Get Back documentary Yeah, And um, yeah, it just, it just sort of rekindled that So while I was in college, you know, all Beatles are sort of get, slowly getting back in my my soundtrack again And uh, you know, my playlist Just sort of it's, listening to it, how
1: much amazing stuff It's really hard to sort of get your head around how big they are Because they just feel like really like domestic They're just like members of the family They're always there You know, you, you can ignore them as much as you like it's just part of life. Beatles songs were always, you know, uh, uh, there. And no one will but, ever
0: be bigger again. Absolutely, the, everything, yeah. Absolutely. Everything's in its own little niches now. Mm. So you know, you you will get global sensations, but not with that. Not absolutely. with that ever again.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so as I say, that book's coming out in September. So if you want to, if you want to get me back to talk about it, I'll, I'll I won't shut up. <laughs> Would be
0: absolutely brilliant, man. And I, I want to check out the rest of your books as well. So, for anyone who's been interested, johnhiggs.com is the best place for mm-hmm. everything. Uh, if you're on Insta, it's john.higgs, John Higgs author, all one word on Facebook, mm-hmm. and just John Higgs on Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Good luck in the rollout in September. And uh, yeah, I'll speak to you in September. All the best, mate. Thank Nubby. you.
1: Uh, thanks, Mark. Great to talk to you, man.
0: Okay. Take care, pal. Catch you. That was the brilliant John Higgs. Like I said, I've The KLF book is probably one of my favourite things. I didn't read it. It was an audiobook. I was listening to it while I was um, travelling about. But it's the best audiobook I've ever heard. Check out KLF, the band who burned a million pounds. And we kind of talked on some of the other subjects. He's got a book called The Future Starts Here that I'm really excited to read about. And Stranger Than We Can Imagine, Making Sense of the 20th Century, Um, There was loads of other things I wanted to talk about, but try to keep all the podcast into about an hour these days. So, uh, what? Just one another wee shout out for tomorrow night. I'm playing a gig, the Gyro Babies, uh, with Mickey Nines at Room Two, Glasgow. I believe there's a few tickets left, and you know, do the impossible, which is what we're going to need to do again because once again we don't have. We're missing a band member, so we'll be training up a band member during the afternoon, but I'm sure we'll be fine. You call that radio? It's to radio. to radio. to call
1: radio.